This morning we're uh, getting closer to being done with Galatians. We've got this week and one more week next week that we're going to be finishing chapter 6. You can start if you have your Bibles with you turning there now. We're in Galatians 6, uh, 1. If you don't have a Bible, the nice thing is we have them in a chair in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you. Sound good? It's a lot easier to follow along if you're looking at the text this morning. Well, I was thinking about the, the topic this morning, and we, I'm titling uh, this, this message, calling it Get Messy. And uh, I was thinking about the idea of getting messy in terms of a trip that I did a few weeks ago, a camping trip. I don't know if there's any campers in the room here. People enjoy camping. I came to some conclusions. We went with our, our life group. I think it was five different couples and went with our, our life group down to Leo Carrillo, which is right across the street from the ocean. Beautiful spot. But I've came to realize that I'm that guy that likes to get messy, get dirty, have all the fun outside, and then back to a nice shower, clean hotel room, being refreshed. Anybody else that kind of a camper? Like, you're fine with the getting... Uh, why is nobody responding to this? Okay, so, so, so that's what I, I came to that conclusion when I, when I was out there on this uh, little getaway... And uh, in fact, it was reinforced, unfortunately, by an event that happened by the campfire. We were sitting there, and we just finished dinner, and there was uh, a few of us that were still lingering around after. You you have this tendency to eat really healthy food, like hot dogs and bratwurst. And there's uh, Kayla and Adrian were standing by the the fire, and they were were, uh, grilling their hot dogs on the stick. You know, the whole whole deal. I was just sitting there letting the food settle. And uh, and, uh, someone who I I don't want to mention any names, but Robin uh, left... um, left decided to heat up the the, uh, can of beans in our little fire pit deal. A lot of us have done that before, but she forgot a very important thing in the heating of beans is that you actually have to open the top of the can first. Otherwise, there's this thing called pressure, I learned, that builds up. So, uh, so we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, like, I thought we were under atomic attack. Like, it was this explosion like none others, and beans everywhere, like, just covered with them. It launched, I mean, the tree above us covered, I'm, I'm drenched in beans, my melon, like, is just covered, just nasty. And honestly, it shot the entire, all the logs in the fire out, and uh, the, it, it, was, it, was, it was quite the experience. It was, Bonnie was sitting there in her, in her chair literally with a flaming log and like doing this dance. It it was good times. It was good times for sure. But it it came to that sunk in after that event as I'm just sitting there and stinking beans and I was just like, it's going to be a couple days before I shower. It's going to be a couple days. Like I may as well just embrace this and get used to it and accept the stench. And uh, I was thinking about like that, that so much is the picture of how we as the church have a tendency, if we're not careful, we like the idea of visiting church, going in, like being around it, being around the mess a little bit, being exposed to it. But then, unfortunately, where the parallel continues is we also like to pull away, and not really get messy per se. We like the idea of being a part of it and seeing lives change, but the fact of us actually rolling up our sleeves and getting dirty and engaging and, and, and diving in, that's where we fall short. What we're going to see in our text this morning is, unfortunately, the, the truth is, if we're going to be the church that God designed us to be, that's not really an option. 
That's not really an option. The, op- the only way that it's possible to be the church that God designed, where people are peeling off layers of the old self or are trying to uh, overcome addictions that are being freed from sin and pain, like the only way that that church can be, the only way that we can not just be a building with an event in it, where we can be where actual life change is happening, is if we are willing to get messy, to get dirty, to, di- to dive in. And this challenge this morning, I know it hit home for me directly. My prayer is for us as a community that this would really speak to us, this text of what it looks like to be the church. Let me pray towards that end. God, we thank you so much for this chance to be together. And we thank you even in acknowledging this morning that you were the God that chose to get messy, to enter in. You didn't just watch from afar, that you chose to engage with us. You did life with us, even to the extent of going onto a cross on our behalf. God, we're so grateful. We pray now just through this text that you'd speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would just do a work and just meet us exactly where we're at. For some, this might be a, a word of encouragement to keep doing what they're doing. Others, it might be a call, a challenge to, to get off of the fence and to choose to engage and get messy. God, I pray that you'd speak to us. Meet us here now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Chapter 6, verse 1 And really, I'm just pointing to three different words here this morning for each section of this passage, hopefully to make it more chewable, if you will. The first word that I want to point to is the word untangle. It's an invitation for us. Look at verse 1. Brothers, if any of you is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Let's stop there and unpack that a little bit. The first thing that you notice is the audience who he's writing to. What does he refer to? Brothers. So he's referring to those that his audience that have embraced Jesus' death as payment for their sins. They're, uh, they, they've accepted the free gift. And that's what we're celebrating this Easter is that free gift, that invitation to have forgiveness of, uh, of sins, to have our lives, our eternities redirected through Jesus Christ. So he's talking to those brothers that had already made that decision. But he describes this. He says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, the word there, the, the word caught there, this idea like when you, upon first read, uh, you might think of the word caught like you got caught red-handed. You know, you think, you think of that, you got stuck caught with your hand in the, the cookie jar. But the word caught and used in this framework is actually talking about the word caught as in entangled or tied up or imprisoned or stuck in. Like that's the picture that he's describing there. This, this idea of somebody that's, that's, that's even unknowingly stuck in their sin. Sin has that, that potential in our life. Before we realize it, we find ourselves, you know, just subtly exposed to it, introduced to it. And then before you know it, you're like, man, why is it that I'm not experiencing or sensing the presence of God in my life? Why is it that I'm absent of joy why is it that I don't see purpose or meaning in what I'm doing? Why is it, why is it that, that, that I, I'm not really actively involved with the church? You see, sin has that subtle crippling effect, effect that tangles us. And this is an invitation for us to help pull people out of that. What does he say there? He says he basically describes the system that God has in place. It's not real complicated. Basically, it's this. The strong are to help 
out those that are weak or those that have gotten stuck. Romans 15.1 describes this. It says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Who's considered strong, though? Anybody wrestle with that? You're just like, well, who qualifies for that? Like, I, I read a text like this, and you're like, well, I, I clearly don't fall in that category of, of strong. But, but what does it say in the text? It says, it says, you who are spiritual, you who are spiritual, those are the people that are to be helping out. What is, how do you define spiritual? Spiritual, living by the Holy Spirit. Those who are living and being guided by the Holy Spirit. Not somebody that knows a ton about the Bible. Not somebody that went to every Sunday school class. Not somebody that knows all the verses from Awana. That doesn't qualify you. Those living by the Spirit, where the Holy Spirit's guiding and directing them, that's who's qualified. In other words, we're not qualified, but He is. If He's empowering and moving through somebody, then He's able to do this process. And what is that that He's able to do? What does it say? Gently restore. He's called, He's inviting us to gently restore. I think that's one of the areas that we, we get confused on. What does restore mean? Restore is the idea is to, to mend or repair. The same picture that they used in that time for fixing a broken fishing net. Like that was the picture for what it looks like to restore. The truth is, is that we get confused about this in our world. We think that we're called not to restore. We get caught up in the like, hey, maybe we're called to catch somebody or to condemn somebody or to judge somebody. We get confused of what our role is in the life of others. It's not to, not to condemn or to catch or to judge. It's to restore. The restore is the idea of bringing somebody back, bringing somebody back. How do you feel like we do that as a as large C church, as church in America? When somebody falls, do you feel like the believers in our in our country move straight towards trying to restore or build somebody back up? Not so much. Not so much. That's where, that's where I think we're missing it as the church, as the body of Christ. That's the invitation. That's our part in it. We get confused in what our role is. The wonderful thing is that Jesus set this perfect example for us. If you guys are familiar with the story in John 8, it's the story of the Jesus being, he was teaching in the temple, and the scribes and Pharisees trying to get him to stumble and, and uh, cause him to trick or say something wrong, trick him or say something wrong. They brought to him somebody that was a woman who was caught, only not, not in this term, it literally says caught in the act of adultery. So literally caught in the act of adultery and was brought to him. And they said to Jesus, they tried to trick him with these words. If you're familiar with this story, what did they say to him? They said, listen, the law of Moses says that we're supposed to, we're supposed to stone her to death. We're supposed to execute this woman. What do you say that we're to do? Trying to test him, see how he would respond. It was interesting to see what his response, and some of you that are familiar with this story, what was his response? He says, those of you who are without sin, you go ahead and you cast the first stone. You go ahead and you cast the first stone. That was his response to the, to the, the, the crowd that gathered, and it's interesting to watch. It says that the older left first, and then the younger, the older are just like... You got me. <laughs> you got me. Gu guilty as charged. Some of us, as we get older, we realize definitely guilty. And, uh, but who was left standing there? Who was left standing there with the woman? Just Jesus. Just Jesus. He was the only one without, 
without sin. He was the only one qualified, and that's an important thing for us to understand who's actually qualified to judge. He was the only one left. And what was his response to the woman? He says, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. But then he says these important words after that. He says, go and sin no more. Stop it. Just go stop. But here, it's an important thing to recognize in that story. What did he do first? He pointed her to grace and forgiveness and then pointed her to what needed to change. And that's where we, we get it mixed up. We think it's all about, you know what, I need to direct this person to change this and then they'll experience God's grace. No, we're missing it. We're missing it. First, pointing people to God's grace. That's how somebody is restored. Pointing them to his grace and then out of that, allowing there to be change coming from that grace. Does that make sense? We miss that important point. That's the picture that, God, that God's painting here. He says, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. No word of condemning, no word of judging, only about restoring. But then he gives this, this challenge. He gives this important challenge where he's, where he's called. He says, keep watch, though, on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You see, what happens is if we're not careful, we can get in the business of, of fixing and helping other people. You know how you can get sucked into that where your life is all about helping solve other people's issues or work through things. But then what happens there is then we become pretty vulnerable ourselves. That's why he's saying, he's like, keep watch yourself. It, it broke my heart this past week to hear the, in the news about a uh, pastor of a mega church down in Florida. I've actually partnered with some of their ministries before in the past, seeing him fall in, a, in sexual sin this week. And you're just like, oh, but what is our response? Our response to restore and build up and redirect. It might, it might, cha- it might look very different what his role is in, in that ministry, but do we go straight to the mindset of restore is the question. Why would we want to do this? Why would we choose to go through getting messy? Like, isn't it easier, like if we're honest with ourselves, just kind of staying on the fringe, just kind of watching things happen, letting people go about, let their, that's their business, that's not my business. But you know what? That's not what we're called to. That's not what we're called to. That's not what scripture points us to. It's a gift. It's actually a, a beautiful thing. Talk about looking for life of purpose and meaning when you actually have the ability to come along somebody and restore them. I remember when I was a little kid, I used to love the game of freeze tag. Anybody else play that game when you're, uh, when you're little? And in fact, one of, one of my favorite parts of that game is after somebody, and we, we played like the old school rules where if somebody got, gets frozen, they've got to stay like exactly how they were. You know what I mean? Like if they're laying down, crumbled, like stay there, you're frozen. And, uh, but my, my favorite part of that, that game was, was being the guy that would then come along and unfreeze that person, right? Wasn't that so fun? You're like, ha ha, they're back in the game. They're back in it. It's suckers. And you're, you're, trying to, you're, trying to, you're trying to get as many people unfrozen as possible. And I was thinking about that, like what a beautiful picture of our invitation, our invitation as Christ followers to come along other, aside other people, not, not so this, uh, you can rub their nose in the dirt, but saying like, hey, I want to unfreeze you. I want to untangle you. I want to get you out of this sin. Why? So that you can get back in the game and experience life the way that God designed it to be. That's our part in this. Don't be confused to untangle. It's a beautiful invitation. 
So the first thing, seeing there, untangle, the next word I want to leave you with, you're going to see in, second, in the second verse, is to carry, the word carry. Take a look. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he has nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. It's a little bit of a confusing section. Let's unpack that a little bit. This idea of carry is the idea that when we lift somebody up, when we untangle them, usually they're pretty damaged or crippled. And a lot of times the the glamorous part of fixing them and helping them, we lose interest in this oh-so-important piece of restoring somebody, is carrying the load with them. There's a season after somebody's coming out of, of being tangled in sin, that's not the time to just, okay, wish you well. There you are. I got you up. I got you back ready to go. Good luck. Like, no. That's where this gets to be a challenge, right? That's where it gets to be, oh, the process of seeing somebody rebuilt and coming along. That's the less glamorous side, right? That's the, that's the difficult side. This idea of carrying or bearing one another's burdens, bearing another one's burdens. That's this, uh, I was talking to a gentleman named Bob who does our landscaping here at, at the church this past week, and he was talking about uh, just a, a neat encounter that he had with a, uh, a guy that worked at the repair shop where he gets his lawnmowers fixed. Started talking with the, the gentleman, and the guy started just sharing, kind of pouring out to Bob. He knew Bob was a Christ follower. Started pouring out to him, just saying all the things that were going on in his life. He's in the middle of a difficult divorce. He's, he's found himself entangled in alcohol and just keep going, going to that as his means of comfort. And just Bob said, you know what? I just, just talk with him, try to point him to Christ, just try to listen. And then he came to that crossroad in that conversation. And this is the, this is the, the piece that I think some of us, and myself included, can miss if we're not careful. Is then at the end of the conversation, it wasn't left with, all right, man, wish you the best. Hope that all goes okay. It was this. Hey, why don't you take my phone number? Why don't you take that? You, you, you call when you're going through a difficult time, when, when, when you need help, when you need support. Here's, here's my phone number. And he was telling me that the next day, the guy took him up on that offer, called him up, called him up. Two hours later, they're, they're, they're talking. They're, he's listening. He's counseling. He's supporting. He's praying for him. He's coming alongside of him. That's the picture of the way that the church is supposed to work, to do this together, to ca- help carry each other. It's not the polite, oh, I'm sorry, I'll be praying for you. No, but to really engage, following up, checking in, fo- like asking how things are going, making that phone call, even when there's other things you might rather do. That's carrying the burden with somebody. I love this quote by author Bob Goff. He says, stop being efficient in the way we love people. Stop being efficient in the way we love people. Having, having a, like, well, I'm willing to do this, I'm willing to do that, I'll do this, but not going to go this far and actually get messy. But the truth is, is that there's a lot of reward that comes from this. When you actually are helping somebody, you come alongside with them through a difficult time, that's, a, that's an awesome experience. John Piper, I love it, he describes a full life. He says, "Develop a full life comes from developing this extraordinary skill of detecting the burdens of others and devote yourself to making them lighter. Isn't that an awesome picture? 
Develop this, this, this skill of, of seeing around in the, the world where you're placed, your circle of influence. See who's struggling and saying like, hey, how can I come alongside of that person? How can I be a support? What, what could I do to help lift the burden off of them? Man, I'll tell you what, Rabbit Valley here would be transformed massively if we as a church like, started to think like that. What would it look like if, if we said, you know, how can I come alongside and be a burden carrier? That's the invitation. That's the, the, the invite. And it says, it's interesting, it says, and so fulfill, when we do that, when we carry burdens, it says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? I'm glad you asked. John 13, 34, Jesus says this, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people, I thought that's fascinating, all people will know you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, man, talk about simplifying it. How's the world going to know that, that you're different or set apart? Like, what does that look like when you love each other, when you carry burdens? Then all of a sudden, that we're, it's an attractive thing. It's an attractive thing. Fulfilling the law of Christ. But here's the, tr- the truth. He, he gives a little bit of a caution in verse 3. He's, he warns us about, like, hey, be careful, though. When you're doing this, don't start to think of yourself as something. You see, when you get in the mode of being a, a helper and coming along people, you can kind of put that on as your self-righteous badge, right? You can be like, yeah, I, all, all I do is help others. You know, that's, that's what my life is all about, you know? But what he's saying and the caution that he gives there, listen to it. So it's for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. It's a good reminder. But let each one test his own work, test his own work. I like that, that picture of, of uh, if you've ever been on a, a plane, they have this idea that they say, and I remember hearing it for the first time when I was on a, a plane ride and I was with my kids. What do they tell you to do with the oxygen mask, right? They say, they're like, first, put it on yourself and then help those you love, right? First, you're like, what do you mean? Like, if my kid's there struggling, like, it's going on. But like, wait a second. Think about that. Think about that. Isn't that the invitation he's saying here? He's like, hey, make sure that you're checking in with yourself, that you're not vulnerable to falling before you help others. What's he, what is he saying? He's saying, because you're going to be accountable for you. You're going to be accountable for you. And so he's saying, make sure that you have the right balance in this. Because a lot of us can get so busy and confused about, you know what, my life's just about helping others. And yet on the inside, we're a wreck. Like, we're, we're, we've derailed, and we have secret sins, and we have things that we're going back to in areas of, of fallenness. And he's saying, no, make sure that that isn't neglected. Make sure that you're not neglecting yourself. He says, he says, that's, he says but le- let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast, and boast here isn't the negative sense of the word boast here. I like the, the picture of Romans 15, 7. This is the right way of boasting. It says, in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Wait a second. We're allowed to be proud of our work. For I will not venture, listen, this is an important piece. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Through me. It's only about what he's done through you. When you do careful examination of yourself that it's calling you to, that's the only conclusion you're going to come to. You're like, I'm not, I'm not capable of that on myself. The stuff I do in the flesh doesn't look like that. 
That, that, that's not what it's describing there, but he's saying, listen, he's like, worry about your own lo- load, and then you start to see that it's all about him. The only way we're doing anything good is when we're actually submitting to let, we've talked about that last week, letting living in the spirit, not in the flesh, letting him guide and direct. So that's the challenge. That's the reminder. It says, for each of you will have to bear his own load. Yo, when we stand before Almighty God, it's not going to be because, you know what, my husband, he, he just never pushed me in spiritual things. So, uh, like, like, no, you, you can't blame your husband. We're responsible for our, our actions. Wives, you know, you, you know or, or husbands, you know, my, my wife, she was never willing to follow me in that. So I felt I didn't need to have, no, like, no. Like, guess who's going to stand before Almighty God and give an account? Me, myself, and I. Like, and we're going to have to give a response. What are we, are we, we talked about this through this series. Did we earn our way? Have we done it through enough good deeds? Or are we going to say, the only way I'm able to stand here because of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross on my behalf. Guess what? There's the final test question. That's the only answer you're able to give. That's the only answer. So it gives that reminder, that caution, that as we're carrying others' burdens, not to forget or neglect ourselves. Verse 6, it says, Let the one, still under this topic, let the one, this is interesting, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. At first, sometimes uh, pastors will use that as as a case for saying, like, listen, I'm the one teaching. Make sure you share good things with me. Like that, you, that, I think that's logical. Uh, but, uh, but really, when you look at it in this context, what, it, what it makes the more sense is the thing that keeps somebody going when they're carrying burdens and helping out is when you start to go back and say, listen, listen, what, what you talked about, and this is one of my favorite things that happens in this body of Christ. When somebody comes back and says, listen, what you taught on this last week, this is how I lived it out. This is how I help carry somebody's burden. This is like so that you're sharing in that joy together. That's the idea. That's the picture in my mind of sharing is just like what a gift that is. When you start to see, like think about it from your perspective, somebody that you're investing in, somebody that you're pouring your heart into, that you're giving good counsel. Isn't it awesome when you have them come back and say, hey, listen, the advice you gave is fantastic. It's changed everything. What about that, that son or daughter that says, Dad, Mom, I heard what you said, and this is what I did in response to that. I know that never happens. But, um, but if it did, that would be an awesome thing. That would be a beautiful thing if, if that were to happen. That's the picture that he's saying, and that's what helps us, if we're honest with ourselves, that's what helps us carry burdens is that going back. And so let's make sure that we're active in that as well. As we continue, so there's two pictures that we've painted. The first one is untangling. It's helping somebody when they're in the thick of it. And then after that, you can't just leave them there. You can't just abandon them. You have to help carry their burdens, walk with them. That's the picture that he's painted so far. And this last word that I want to leave us with this morning from our text is the, war, the word warn. The word warn. Uh, warn. Do you know, sorry, that came out wrong. Hey, you want to hear something funny? I couldn't say my R's when I was a little kid. I'd say them like W's. I'd weed and white instead of read and write. And so I've overcome that, kind of. Okay, so uh, warn. So this, uh, this, uh, this verse, verse 7 paints this picture. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. 
But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, because of that, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we've helped untangle somebody. We've helped now carry them. And here's the next important piece. And this is maybe one of the most messy parts of the whole process. Maybe the part that we want to avoid the most is a a word of caution. It's kind of like, man, you've helped them out of sin. Now you've helped get them back on their way, back on their feet. But this is the caution. And this is modeled in Jesus' example with with the woman caught in adultery. First healed her, restored her, and then truth was spoken to her. Listen to what it says. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. That's a powerful statement. Those are are big words right there. This idea, don't be deceived to think that God doesn't deal severely with sin in us. Don't think that we're pulling something over on God. Don't think that, that our sin and our formula, a lot of us have gotten this pattern of sin in this formula, and it's easy to get sucked into of like, you know what? I've got this, I, I know I mess up. I go back. I've got this formula. I know he forgives me. I say this special prayer. You know, I rub a rabbit's foot. I do that. You know, like, maybe not that. But uh, we've got the, this way that we deal with sin, thinking we're, we're getting away with something before Almighty God that sees everything. We miss it, though. We miss it. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, don't be mocked. Don't be mocked. He won't be mocked. I uh, remember in high school, I was, uh, uh, took, uh, I, I, it was a bad season of trying to pull things off on my, my parents. Uh, a little bit, I'm at the place where I can confess they're actually visiting from Denver. They're here in the front. And, uh, and, and so, but I remember one trip that they were on, uh, they when they were gone, I must have had some friends over uh, that I wasn't supposed to. And uh, in one of our hangout times, one of the nice lamps in our living room, not that anything was that nice in our house, but, uh, but uh, one, of the, one of the lamps uh, got, got bumped over and just shattered. And I re- remember standing there, you kind of have that like frozen state where you're like, all right, what do I do now? And, uh, and I remember cleaning it up and I'm like, I can't like go buy that lamp. It was so ugly. Like, how do you find that again? And uh, no, no offense, uh, but uh, but like, how could you find this lamp? And so, what what did I? What do you guys think I did? I just threw it out and hoped they wouldn't notice. You know. <laughs> And, and so I remember, like, the, for the next couple months, anytime we were in that room, they, they would walk in, and I'd kind of change the subject or have them point their attention one direction. But eventually, one of, one of the two of them, I can't remember, actually asked, they're like, hey, didn't there used to be a lamp over here? I'm like, I don't know, maybe. And, uh, and, and so, but, but really, and that's the, that's the comical example of this, but a lot of us approach God with that same way. We think that we're pulling something off on them. Like we can just kind of keep leaning into grace and forgiveness and forget that there's not consequences to our actions. Consequences to our actions. And that's the warning. What does it say? It says, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. That's a biblical principle. It's a universal principle that we can't avoid the outcome, that there's consequences, that there's cause and effect. The things that we do 
influences our lives. Just because we've embraced Jesus' death as payment for our sins doesn't mean that we're not absent from the consequences of our decisions and our choices. Does that make sense? That, that's the way it works. That's the principle that he's saying. Guess what? You're not mocking God. When you sow, remember, who is he talking to? Followers of Jesus Christ. He says this, for when you sow what you do in the flesh, we talked about that last week, things that are driven by your wants, your desires, your things, the fleshly things. When you sow those things, what's the outcome? That's one planting option. The outcome is, it says in the text, you, you're going to reap corruption. That's the outcome. You're going to reap corruption. And that you, you could unpack that all kinds of different, different directions. It says Hebrews 12, 6, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. The truth is, is that the things that you do today, what's happening today is shaped by yesterday. Does that make sense? And tomorrow is shaped by today. You have that in your notes there. This picture of the, we're, we're living in the outcome of some of the choices that we've made. Some of us are just like, man, I, hear, I talk to people and they're just like, man, I, I just feel like I'm suffering for Jesus, all this persecution. But when you actually sit down and talk with them, you're like, no, actually, you're just seeing the results and the consequences of some poor decisions that you've made in the past. Like the, the degree of actual persecution, I think, in our, our current world is pretty minimal. A lot more of a response of poor decisions that are made in the outcome, the fruit. He's saying this is a universal principle that we all have to face. And it's not a popular one, but it's the reality of how it works. But here's the encouraging thing, is there's two parts to that. There's two parts. The things, the, the things that we do in the flesh have the outcome of corruption, but the things that we do in the Spirit, we've talked about that. Life in the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit's guiding and directing you, doing things through Him, in Him, directed by His Word. When that's happening, what's the outcome of that? Things that are eternal. There's, a, there's another. This, this can either be an amazing rule or it can be a super frustrating rule, right? It can either be a fantastic thing that you're like, hey, listen, I plant seeds of, I, I plant good seeds and awesome things come from it. Awesome things come from it. But that's the, that's the, that's the crux. That's why when we talked last week about life is just really coming down after we've embraced Jesus Christ as our Savior, then it comes down to an ongoing moment by moment. What do we say? Choice, choice in the spirit, in the flesh, in the spirit, in the flesh. There's two different outcomes that you have. You might be in the middle of reaping consequences, but every day is a new chance to lay groundwork for a future eternal harvest. That's an awesome idea, isn't it? It's, a, it's the gift of how every single day is. And what does it say there? It says in the text, verse 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season, that's the part we don't like is the waiting piece, but in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, because of that truth, that promise, so then, because of that, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Let us do good to everyone. Let that just be the marker of our life. You're like, man, I don't even get tired of this. You know, I just keep planting here, planting here, planting here, and let God worry about it. You're like, hey, I just know I'm clinging to that promise that he says that if we don't give up in due season, we'll reap from that. It's an awesome picture. It's really the invitation that we have in this whole process. This whole process, when we're thinking about it, think about it. So first, you're helping untangle somebody. Then you're helping walking alongside of them. And then you're telling them, listen, you have a choice. 
You can either go back to some of that stuff, some of the stuff in the flesh, but guess what? God's not mocked. You reap what you sow. If you want to go back to that, you're going to bear the fruits of that. That's what's going to come. It's, it's, it's a gift to be able to explain to people how it actually works. That's why he says here in the, in the text, and I love this, and we'll close with this. It says, as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity, a lot of times when you read that, you might think of it in the context of like, hey, whenever the opportunity arises to, to do good, like, go for it. But I was reading a little bit into that this, this week, and the, the word they're used for, the words they're used aren't describing that. It's, it's, it's talking about our limited chance on earth to do this. As we have opportunity, as we have our, some people live a short life, some people live a long life. Like as we have, as we have given, uh, been given an opportunity in this lifetime, make sure that you're sowing what you want to reap. A lot of people are like, why did God leave that system in place? Why is that? Why does he allow that? Why does he allow us to get crushed by our decisions or leverage them for our benefit? The truth is, it's a gift. We have a just God. Like we love to focus on his love and all the warm, fuzzy parts about that. But what about the fact that he's also a just God? He allows us to get what we plant. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this text and just the practicality of it and how you explain, even in this last section, how this world works. When we're confused and, and wondering, why is it that I keep feeling like I'm running into a wall? Like, why is that? Man, maybe it needs to start with assessing, doing some assessment. First off, have I embraced Jesus' death as payment for my sins? Have I ever, can I actually point to a time where I made that choice, where I made that decision? Then ongoing, the, the question that we've been wrestling through the last two weeks, am I living by the Spirit, the Christ living inside of me, or am I living by the old flesh, my old wants and desires? What's guiding and directing my life? God, I just pray that we'd make the choice just collectively as a church to choose to get messy, to engage with people, to not stand at a safe distance, not heading back to the Hilton from the campsite, God, I just pray that we'd make the choice and we know that we can only do that in your power and your strength. So I pray now that this wouldn't just be added to the mile-high pile of messages that we've heard, that this would actually take root and sink in to the core of who we are. We know that's possible only through you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Those are convicting words to sing, right? Hear my all of me, like... That's a, that's a big promise. I just pray that God would give us the strength to do that, that we would make choices this week, even to get messy. Hey, one thing that we want to provide just as a church is if we could be praying for you. We have elders and staff that are available around the church. We have been doing it in the front, but we just want to make ourselves available in the lobby. Any way we can support you or be praying for you, we're happy to do that even in these moments following the service. Otherwise, have a fantastic week in the Lord. God bless you.